Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. This episode, we're going to go a little bit different since we're not going to really be talking all about school-based SLP kind of things. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, that is because I have the independent clinician here today, (laughs) Ms. Jenna Castro-Casman, who's going to talk all about how to build a private practice while working in the schools and the benefits all about it. So Jenna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. It's really a pleasure to be here. So tell everyone a little about you, your SLP journey, and how you fell in love with private practice, and then started teaching others about private practice. Excellent. So, you know, I got started in private practice by accident. I had no idea this was something that I would ever, ever do, right? I went to graduate school. I'm actually an adult person. Keep listening, people listening on the show. But um, (laughs) I started, I had a CF at this really great rehabilitation hospital. And I had like my dream job. I was so happy. And a couple months, like after I got my C's and everything, I just started to feel kind of stuck. And that's a feeling that I think is, you know, can be universal no matter what setting you're in, right? But I started to have that feeling of, you know, I wasn't able to get to spend as much time with the clients as I wanted to. There was way too much documentation, meetings. I just wasn't able to make that difference that I really wanted to. And I started to wonder, you know, like, was my my dream job, like, really my dream job, Right. And so it was around this time that I was you know, having lunch with some coworkers and they started talking about their private practices. Now, sometimes I can be a little clueless, right? My wife talks about this all the time, but I literally had no idea 
that they had private practices on the side of the job that we did together at the hospital. I didn't even know that an on the side private practice was like a thing, right? I assumed that in order to have a private practice, you waited until your end of your career and, or at least mid, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 years of experience. And like, that's when you did it. Um, And at the time they were probably like, I don't know, maybe in their mid forties and they'd had their private practices for a long time. And so this, I started like asking questions about it, which they were, you know, very uh, nicely answered. But, you know, I asked about like, well, where do you like, where's your office? And they said, oh, we don't have an office. I was like, what do you mean you don't have an office? I thought that's how it worked. And they said, no, you like, we just go to clients houses, right? Like we see people in their spaces. We could have offices, but we don't. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. That's great. And then, you know, they talked about how they had started younger when they were more about my age. And that also blew my mind. And they also talked about how at the time, anyway, they were not credentialed with insurance yet. They were mostly doing private pay. And so like, I just assumed that you did insurance and you did all these other things. So I basically had a lot of assumptions about private practice. And they also asked like, if I was interested and I was like, well, I don't think so. Like probably not yet. Like I was like, I don't know, 25, 26. I just started, you know, my career. And I, again, I thought you had to wait for like forever. So they offered to mentor me and help get me started. And so they also asked, Hey, Jenna, has anyone ever asked you if you treat private clients? And I said, yes, but I've always sent them like to you guys. And they're like, well, next time someone asks, you should say yes. I was like, oh my gosh, like, really? Like, do you think I'm ready? And they're like, yes, Jenna, like you have something to offer. You have something to bring to the table. You're, you know, you're a great clinician. Yes, you're young, but you're learning and you're, you know, you have something to offer. And so, you know, a couple of weeks later, somebody asked and I was so excited. Listeners, I don't know if you've ever been asked if you see private clients, but it's kind of an exciting and scary feeling where if you're not, don't have your ducks in a row yet. And so the first time I was asked, like I said, no, because it was a kid with autism and autism isn't, isn't really my thing. And so uh, I waited for another couple of weeks went by and I had another opportunity. And that time I did say yes, because it was like someone who was in my wheelhouse uh, was a person with aphasia. It was perfect for me. And so that's kind of how I got started. And then I started like also seeing people on the side of my, you know, regular job. And I started doing that for, and I shifted my hours and started seeing more and more clients. And then I also started telling like my friends from grad school that I was doing this and people like wanted to know the information, like, how are you doing this? You know, I was starting to, you know, earn a good salary doing this. I was loving it. I was, you know, loving my job again. I wasn't feeling stuck anymore. And so that really felt good. So then people were like, Jenna, tell me more, tell me everything. So I started like, you know, I started an old ebook and I started, you know, selling some information online. And then, you know, I really discovered that this was a big need in our profession to have this information because people don't learn about private practice in grad school. Mm -hmm. And it can be kind of like a hush hush thing where people like don't know who to talk to about it. So that's kind of the void that I've been filling for now, unbelievably 13 years is teaching SLPs how to start with just a few clients on the side or transition to, you know, multi-location employees, like big private practices. I want to support SLPs who have a dream and want to turn that dream into a reality and, you know, get unstuck and be able to take control of their professional, personal and financial lives. Makes such an impact. Like that's also like, I feel like when we're in the schools, we're stuck in our closets and no one really is aware of what's going on. And there's such 
you know, disclaimer, guys, I don't have a private practice, but I did do see private cases on the side for someone else's private practice. Um, I just didn't have the guts to start my own. But I loved having one, that second form of income. That was great, especially, you know, when I was just first starting out before I had kids, <laughs> when I was living at home with my parents, what was I in a rush to go home to? Like, <laughs> sorry, mom, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> but it's so true. So one myth you already said that, that we just debunked that you don't need many years of experience. I mean, you also said you don't, another myth that you don't need space or insurance. Right. Is there well, anything else? Like there's wise? tons of things. Oh my God. So I told all people that there's like an old way and a new way to start a private practice. Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Asha has like subtly ingrained this, what I call the old way, which is that you have to wait until the end of your career. Like basically you have to wait until you're an expert, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm an like, expert oh. in apraxia or I'm an expert in what's it like. Whatever. What does that even mean? Right. Like, I mean, some, they do have, you know, board certified experts. Like I'm not, you know, there's those people too. Right. But, you know, in our profession, like, you know, who is expert enough, right? Like no one has to, you don't have to have permission to start a private practice. What you have to do is you have to have, you know, solid clinical skills to really truly be able to help people. And that's what you do all day long right? In your regular job, in your school or, you know, EI or whatever else you do, like you are using your clinical services to help other people all day long. What I teach people how to do is to do that, but for themselves and really cut out that middleman, right? Mm -hmm. Another myth that a lot of people think, and again, this is kind of part of that old way of thinking, is that you have to have a lot of money to invest upfront, right? In most other kinds of businesses, you do have to have thousands of dollars or get business loans in order to start businesses. In our profession, you don't. It actually only costs, if you do it like the really lean way, meaning you're not spending extra money, it costs about $150 to $200 to start your business. And that will cover a business license, that will cover you know, your documentation system, and also having professional liability insurance. Now you can save thousands of, or spend thousands of dollars, right? You can have the brick and mortar space. You can buy all of the assessments. You can have like a fancy office, you know, furniture. You can do all of those things, but you don't have to, right? Because what I don't want is I don't want SLPs stacking business loans on top of student loans, right? I want people to be able to be profitable, from the very, very beginning and actually use that income. Hallie mentioned extra income, right? To pay for things, right? Yes. You want to reinvest some of it in your business so that you can grow. But if you also have business loans or if you're or, uh, student loans, rather, we're, we're not doing business loans, ladies. And, <laughs> um, but we're, you know, you, we want to be to spend the money on, you know, maybe like saving for things or doing fun things like having, you know, extra money for your family or whatever it is you want That's part of, again, this new way is starting off small and on the side of a regular job, not investing a lot of money so that you can be profitable from the very, very beginning and make sure that not only are you happy with what you're doing, but also you have really satisfied clients who are getting the help and the services that they desperately need that they're not able to get elsewhere. Yes, we. I mean, we all know in the schools that we can't qualify every case that comes our way. And sometimes there's parents if you're working in some of those districts and areas where they'll, they said, 
I will find it elsewhere if you're not going to give me that service. So you can be that person, maybe not in your own district because there's, you know, obviously some conflict of interest stuff. This is more like other buildings or areas and you got to find out the legality of that. But there's always someone looking for help and you can be that person and make such a difference. And and we all know that there is a shortage of SLPs in, you know, now where I am in New York, but even still, there's always people looking for someone and looking for that change. So I love that. Where would you recommend someone, like you said, yes, you can wait around for someone to ask if you are seeing private clients, but say someone has never had that experience, where can they look? So the best place to get clients these days, unbelievably, is Facebook groups. So a lot of my the students in my program, they get their very first clients from posting in like local Facebook groups, like parent Facebook groups or, you know, whatever town you live in has a Facebook group, whether it's a business group or, you know, just people who are like, what's the best sushi restaurant or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. There's always people who are going to be like, I have a kid who has a lisp. Like, what do I do? The pediatrician's not concerned, but I am. Well, that's a great opportunity for you to post under that, right? So those those are really, really great places. The other really great place is just by starting to tell people that you are starting a private practice and that you're seeing, I mean, and I also use the words private practice and private clients interchangeably, right? I think a lot of people who have, you know, a, a regular job and are kind of doing this on the side, maybe talk about how they have a handful of private clients, but it really is the same thing. If you're going to see private clients, you also need to go through all of the steps to have a private practice. You just might not have a brick and mortar practice. Like maybe you'll do that, you know, later on. But the other way to get clients is just to let people know, right? Let you let people in neighboring school districts, right? Maybe you can't see kids in your own school district. That is true for most school districts have rules against that. But that doesn't mean that you can't see people in other districts or in, you know, private schools or, you know, other schools in your area, home schools, et cetera. Now is actually a really good time to start a private practice. People ask me all the time, like, but Jenna, it's coronavirus, like is now still a good time? And and the answer is yes, because people are desperate to get more services, right? Think about it. People were already not getting enough services for their kids or their whomever in whatever setting they were being served. Now this happened And people are getting, in most cases, less services and probably also in suboptimal ways. So I often talk about how private practice is the bridge between the people in your community who need services and you, the SLP, as the service provider who has the skill, has the willingness, and has the desire to be able to help those clients. And again, the bridge is your private practice. And it's also like your business, right? Like you're cutting out the middleman or whatever, and just seeing those clients on your terms and also, you know, earning that income. Especially you don't even need to have a commute for that. <laughs> and and we're now having the experience of the teletherapy that we've never had before, where you might've felt, mm, I'm not qualified to do that. Now you are. You now can say I provide teletherapy. You can say it confidently. Yeah, because before, like when people would, you know, sign up for my program and everything, before there was maybe like 10% of people did telepractice. And, you know, they'd always say, oh, do you talk about telepractice? I'm like, well, I talk about it, but like not a lot. Well, then all of a sudden March happened and I was planning to add a whole telepractice module like in September of this year. And I like had to hurry up and like... (laughs) 
get that into the course content because everybody had to switch to telepractice, right? And so now, like, basically 100% of the people are seeing people via telepractice, right? So, and some people really like it and some people don't really like it. So if you really like it, it's a great avenue for you to be able to see your own clients, right? I'm in all these other Facebook groups and people say, oh, what's the best telepractice company to work for? And I'm always like commenting yours, right? Like forget all these other companies. I know that they have them and I know maybe they make certain things easier, but they again are only gonna pay you like a cut you might as well be seeing your own clients that way, right? And for people who hate telepractice, I know there's plenty of people who are like, can't wait for this whole thing to be over and see people in real life again. Well, as soon as you can, like you'll have the knowledge, you'll have the skills and, you you know, depending on where you live, you'll be able to go back to it, you know, as soon as possible. And then you'll just pick up just like, you know, things used to be with private practices before all of this happened. And then you'll also have word of mouth and like testimonials from people who can say, hey, they were able to do such a great job teletherapy wise, I recommend in person, they could even be even better. So, so many possibilities. Love that. I have a question though. So, I mean, I know this really differs like, and depends on areas and like where people live, but someone's saying, how much do I charge? Like, you know, I'm new at this. Should I charge less? What would you say to them? That's a great question. Cause that is what people ask, right? So what I don't like, and what I try to have people not think about is, you know, what is the going rate? I'm doing air quotes. What is the, go- I live in Orlando. What's the going rate, right? Who knows, right? I, I, believe that there's no such thing as like a fair going rate, right? Because you have people with different levels of experience. When I first got started, the people who taught me how to do it had been in in practice for like, you know, I don't know, at least 20 years at that point. At the hospital we worked with, there was like levels and they were considered expert clinicians. And meanwhile, I had like, you know, just had my C's for, you know, less than a year when I started with my own private clients. Right. So like I didn't charge, they did tell me what they charged. I did not charge that much because I didn't have that level of skill. Right. So you do have to charge a fee for, for an hour or a half hour, however long you see people that you feel is commiserate with your value. Right. You can always raise your rates. And I recommend that people do raise their rates, but I recommend that people start charging whatever they feel comfortable charging right? I had a friend who lived in a very rural area of Maine and she was looking to start a private practice. And I said, well, you know, Shelly, this is how much I would charge. And she goes, oh my God, people would never pay that. Like you live in Boston, like that's a Boston price. And I was like, okay, well, what if you knocked off like 20 or $30? Like, well, okay, maybe. So it's like, you just have to charge whatever you think is going to work for your community. And again, you can get your feet wet with that price. And then at some point, you know, within six months or I don't know, again, whenever you feel comfortable, then you can start raising it up. But you just need to start where you feel comfortable for like for yourself and what value you provide versus feeling like you're going to be like sneaky calling around town, pretending that you're like a parent. You know, that's something some people do. Like, I think that's not the best way to do it. And one time you once said, like, you can have one client and still consider yourself having a private practice. And one client, right? Every client starts with or sorry, every private practice starts with one client right? But even if you have one client, you can tell people like, oh, I have a small private practice. Oh, hi, I'm Jenna. Like I have a private practice, right? Like it's kind of fun, like to say to, Mm -hmm. you know, and it helps you build up that confidence and that courage. And when people hear, oh, you have a private practice, people are all of a sudden like, wow, that's 
that's pretty incredible, right? And it doesn't matter if you have one client or if even you're just, just starting to build it, right? You still have this private practice that you're building, right? But even if you see one client one time a week, like over the course of a year, usually that makes up more than, you know, if you get like a salary or like a, like a raise or a bonus or anything like that. Right. And some people are laughing, like I haven't had a raise in years. Right. So it's like, this is a really good way to increase your income by doing the same thing that you do all day long, but for yourself and earning what you're worth for it. I love it. And another question that I feel a lot of my listeners are probably thinking is what are some like, not ethics, but like, do you need, like in the schools, we have to have an evaluation and an IEP. Like, obviously it's different when it comes to private practice. So what are some protocols and things that people should be aware of? Like, do they need a million testing materials that in order to see children's cases, do they need, you know, an evaluation for like, what are the different rules and Legalities. So question. It kind of depends on like, who you're seeing and also who the payer source is, right? If you're doing private pay only, you can often like use other either people's avals if they were like in six months and that kind of thing. If you're doing like a Blue Cross or an Aetna or you know a private insurance, those may require that you do your own assessment, which then you would have to you know purchase an assessment you know to get started. That's one of those upfront fees that you don't necessarily have to have upfront, but hopefully you can, like, as soon as you first get your first clients, that's maybe one of the things that you, you know, um, decide to pay for first, right, is like an assessment versus the office space Mm -hmm. or versus, you know, all of the really pretty like those like material uh, folder things that hold all of the decks and the cards <laughs> and whatnot, right? That we all love those things, right? They, they make us feel like really organized, great SLPs, but, you know, things like assessments pay for themselves over time. And of course, any money that you put into your business is a tax deductible expense, which you're going to need some tax deductions because you're going to make money right? And that's that's how taxes work, right? You make a certain amount of money and then you're, you subtract whatever the expenses were. And the difference there is what you pay in taxes. And yes, that's something I teach about because people get really nervous when mm-hmm. it comes to like, what about taxes and whatnot? So I, I make sure that people understand how that works. But at a basic level, you will be making money and you also have allowable deductions such as tests, any supplies you buy for your office, like clipboards, all that kind of stuff. Things that you buy on Teachers Pay Teachers from Alley to, you know, to use with your clients. You know, my course is tax deductible, right? Anything that you do as a business expense is also a tax deduction. So good to know. That's great. And and when you're first starting out, things you have for your school job, you can use. For your, I mean, as long as it wasn't paid for by the school, but as long as you were buying it yourself, like you can use that same stuff. So, you know, and go to, or just go to the library. Use the if you're going into a kid's home. Use their, their toys. You can do it in such a cheap way. This way you can invest in those things that will um, really make a difference and help grow your practice. Yeah. Or like garage sales, right? You people, one of the, the mentors for my program, she owns a big private practice in or the Orlando area, Adrian Fuller. And she did this great video for the students about where she, like what she found at a garage sale, right? And how, you you know, she found Mr. Potato Heads and she found puzzles 
And she even found, you guys, a caribou box, right? <gasps> the magical unicorn. <laughs> found one at a garage sale in Orlando. So, you know, it's like you can go. She spent, I think, $25 total. And she had this, like, trunk full of new therapy supplies. And so, you know, I think that that's really just worth thinking about. That just because you can go to, you know, well, you know, we're not doing ASHA this year, but you know, you can go and you can buy all the materials and you can buy all the stuff. Like you don't have to, you can do all that later, right? You can have the brick and mortar practice later. You can have employees, you can have all of those great things later, right? But you don't have to save up for them before you get started, right? I always want people to roll their money forward, right? You, you bring in some money. All right. So you keep that, you keep some of it for the business, some of it for taxes, you know, for Uncle Sam. And then you figure out, okay, what are you going to do with that extra portion, right? Do you want, again, do you want to do something fun with your family? Do you want to pay off your student loans faster? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you want to do with it? It's yours. Mm -hmm. I love that. Especially right now with everything going on in the economy and in the world, it's it's so great to know that this degree that we got has so many possibilities. We don't have to feel stuck in one setting. And I, you know, I'm clearly an advocate and I love working in the schools, but it is so good to know that we can use our skills and expertise in any setting and make changes if needed or additions. There's just some, I love, I love the, the sky is the limit. I love it. Yeah. Well, and I, I often tell people, you know, if you're waiting for things to get better, they probably won't. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, instead of, you know, waiting for things, I say to create opportunities, right? Don't wait, create. If you want more flexibility, you want to choose which kind of clients you work with because you have a, you know, passion for hearing loss or, you know, whatever it is, or fluency, whatever it is. And you don't get to see that many kids with that issue, you know, in your school or whatever, and you have that knowledge or you want to build that knowledge, right? That's another tax deduction that I forgot to mention was continuing education courses, right? Like if you want to, you know, uh, do some of the, the feeding courses, right? And really become an expert in that, that is all also tax deductible through your private practice. And that's how you can become an expert over time, right? So you can either wait to become an expert or you can become an expert as you build your private practice. Love it. I love it. And this could all be done while you're working. And I know you're probably thinking, you know, hell yeah, I'm already like overwhelmed and I don't have a free second in my day, let alone to build up an extra, you know, client. But you will find having this, you'll have a different passion for it because you got to choose your clients and you got to pick like, it, it becomes your baby. It's a little bit different. And you can, it can start small. It can be just one half hour a week, even one half hour a month. <laughs> Anything is possible. Yeah. So. And it feels good also to, you know, I think that you perform differently when you feel like you are being paid really what you're worth, like what your value is, right? Like I know if, if I was going to have to do two things and one of them I got paid a lot for, and one of them I got paid like a so-so amount for, like I would put a little more effort into the one that mm-hmm. it was going to pay me more money. Right. So I know that's how I used to feel when I, when I had the two jobs, right. I would go to my day job at the hospital and I would like, okay, I'm going to do this. Yes. Another meeting. Got to hurry up through my paperwork. And then I remember just like skipping out the, the door to my car, getting in the car, heading off to my private client's house. And just, that was such a different feeling, right? I had a different level of confidence. I felt like I was building something. And also that I had something that I got to make the decisions in and I got to control. And again, back, if we go back to the very beginning of our conversation where I said that I felt like I was feeling stuck, 
that is one of the reasons why SLPs decide to see some private clients, start a private practice is so that they don't feel stuck, right? People want, I talk about the four F's, people want freedom, flexibility, fulfillment, and finances. And I believe that the only way to get that and truly be in control of it is by starting your own private practice. Thank you so much, Jenna. That, that, I mean, if, if you guys are, want to know more about starting a private practice and what Jenna has to offer, where can they learn more about you? Okay. So I take it your audience likes freebies. Yes, of course they do. Of course they do. Okay. So I have a freebie, which is called the private practice roadmap that goes through the five steps to start a private practice. Okay. That can be found at startyourprivatepractice.com backslash freebie. And the links will be in the show notes, not to worry. <laughs> links are in the show notes. So startyourprivatepractice.com backslash freebie. And also I love it when people say hi to me on Instagram, come by on Instagram. I'm at independent clinician, send me a DM, say that you heard me on the podcast and let's talk about whether or not this is right for you or right for you now or later or whatever. I'm happy to help. Thank you so much. All right. So go check out Jenna on Instagram. Go check out her roadmap. Go check out my show notes for any other links and fun information you might need to have all about, or if you want to just review everything that was shared today, it will be all there for you. Thank you, Jenna, so, so much. Talk all about private practice with us today and not make it so scary for someone in the schools to think, I didn't go to business school. I didn't learn this. We didn't learn this in grad school. So thank you so much. And I always like to end my episodes with a joke. Okay. Let's hear it. Okay. And I think this one is appropriate for this talk on private practice. Where do snowmen keep their money? Just don't even know. They keep it in snowbanks. Oh, so good. So hey, good. I thought it was appropriate. We're talking about money and private practice and having a little extra income. Why not talk about snowmen keeping their money in a snowbank? Love it. <laughs> so Holly, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. And thank you listeners for, you know, for your attention and, you know, your curiosity. And again, if this is something you want to do, reach out to me. I would love to help. But thank you for Hallie, Hallie for having me on the show. My pleasure. Until next week, guys. Stay out of trouble. It is no secret that as SLPs, our focus is always on coming up with new and creative ways to engage our students while teaching them practical and meaningful skills so they can lead more productive, communicative lives. It's also no secret that reaching that goal consistently sometimes feels so out of reach. Being bogged down with paperwork, heavy caseloads, and unrealistic demands put on us by admin has our brains ready to explode, leaving us questioning our confidence suffering from imposter syndrome, and being unsure of our place in a field that we love. That is why I decided to have a little fun and put together a free quiz that digs into the different SLP personalities we find in our amazing and challenging profession. This free 60-second quiz can help you discover which movie character best represents your SLP confidence, so you can begin to reclaim your time and banish overwhelm for all. No matter which result you get, each character embodies unique qualities that highlight the gifts and abilities you bring to your speech students each day. It also tackles the areas your character may need to work on in order to feel 100% confident as an SLP. Plus, I threw in some access to freebies for you. Who doesn't love freebies? So if you are tired of feeling negative, overwhelmed, devoid of confidence, or just want to have a little fun, Take the quiz today. Head to speechtimefun.com slash quiz.
Thanks for tuning in for another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at www.speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. While you are there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.